All right, hey, Harvest Muskoka, Harvest Perry Sound, why don't you go ahead and grab your Bibles and turn to Deuteronomy chapter 6. Deuteronomy chapter 6, we're going to be here. If you don't have a Bible on you this morning, if you'd throw your hand up, we'd love to get a Bible into your hand. We have people with Bibles, so if you forgot your Bible, if you didn't bring a Bible, if you don't own a Bible, for sure get your hand up and take one of these home as our gift to you. Grab a copy of God's Word, whether it's your, your iPhone, your iPad, or, or a paper Bible, and turn to Deuteronomy chapter 6. You know, somebody asked me a, a while ago, we're, we're talking about this sermon series on being bold and, and sharing the gospel of Jesus Christ. Say, hey, hey, uh, as you guys think about it, just God continue to grow this church. Do you ever think back to and, and kind of pine for the older days? Do you ever wish that you were just back to being that, that little group of 30 or 40 people getting together? And, and you know, my honest answer to that is no, not at all. And here's why. It's, it's not because I think that a, a bigger church is something better or more successful than what we were when we were really small. It's this. It's because I believe that we have the greatest message in the world. We have a, a life-changing, eternity-altering, good news message of Jesus Christ. And, and we want to get that out into our communities, into our families. And my, my prayer is that the DNA of Harvest Muskoka, of Harvest Perry Sound, would be that we would be on mission in our communities. Not just that we happen to be in the community, but we're there for the community. We're going out with the gospel. We're bold. We're bold in our action and our love as we care for people. We're bold in speaking about who Christ is. And as we love and give sacrificially to care for the needs, we're also talking about how our greatest need can be met in Christ because of his life and death and resurrection. And so we're bold with that. I mean, that's our mission. If, if you've been changed by Jesus, if you've been set free from the, by the gospel, then, then you've been set free for mission. And when you think of this idea of being set free by the gospel, the, the best picture of that in the Old Testament is the picture of the Exodus. You remember what happened there? We're, we're getting up to Deuteronomy, so let's catch up to what's going on in Deuteronomy. Moses is going to be talking here, but it all began because God said to Abraham a long time ago, hey, Abraham, I'm going to create a nation from your kids. And then from that nation will come a Savior, a great nation raised up for a Savior for the world to come from. And well, then they ended up in Egypt, not a great nation. They're enslaved to a pharaoh in Egypt. And they're probably wondering, well, how is this supposed to go? God promised us to be a great nation, so what does God do? God comes into that situation and miraculously rescues them from slavery and bondage in Egypt. Pulls them out of there. They're on their way to freedom. They come to the Red Sea. And now it looks like, oh no, here we go. What are we going to do? Pharaoh's coming behind. The enemy's coming after us again. We're dead. There's no way out. And God steps in, parts the Red Sea. They walk across. Their salvation happens. The Red Sea closes in on Pharaoh and all the enemies. They're set free. They're set free. It's this picture of our salvation where we've been set free from the slavery of sin and self and Satan, and it's dealt with, it's done away with, it's taken care of. And so here's that picture. Now, now the Israelites now move out on their way to the promised land. Now, they take a long time to get there. They, they live in disobedience. They don't listen to God. God tells them to do stuff. They're not going to do it, so they just keep wandering around. They finally get to the promised land. It's the next generation. A whole generation has already died. Moses gathers them up. And he goes, okay, I, I got to remind you guys, a lot of you guys weren't even there in Egypt, so I got to tell you who you are and what God did. And so the book of Deuteronomy starts to recount this. He said, let me tell you what happened. 
Let me remind you of who you are. And the book of Deuteronomy, over and over and over again, you hear these words, remember, remember, remember you are slaves, but you're set free. Remember that you follow the true God who freed you. Then we get to chapter six, verse one, and it says this. Now this is the commandment, the statutes and the rules that the Lord your God commanded me to teach you that you may do them in the land to which you're going over to possess it that you may fear the Lord your God, you and your sons and your son's son, by keeping all his statutes and his commandments, which I commanded you all the days of your life, that your days may be long. Hear, therefore, O Israel, and be careful to do them, that it may go well with you, and that you may multiply greatly as the Lord, the God of your fathers, has promised you in a land flowing with milk and honey." What's Moses saying here? It's kind of interesting. He says, hey, I want to remind you of these things. I want to remind you of the gospel, of the truth that you've been set free. But he doesn't say, hey, I want to remind you just for you. Did you notice who he says it's for? He says it's for your children and your children's children. Remember these for the generations coming after you. You start to ask yourself, hey, what kind of legacy am I leaving behind? How long of a shadow will I cast? What will my impact be, not just on my children, but my children's children? That's the context of Deuteronomy 6, 1 to 9. We're going to go through this morning. What are we doing here? We started this series called Bold, talking about we need gospel boldness first in our heart. To, to understand the gospel, to grasp it for who is Christ, who am I in Christ as I now go out. And then from there, it spreads to where? It spreads to our families. And then from our families, it then goes out from there into our neighborhood and from our neighborhood into the nation. So our heart to our home, to our hood, to the nations, right? If you're taking notes this morning, so, so where are we beginning this morning? Point number one is this, my mission begins with my family. My mission begins with my family. We're, we're talking about family this morning, why? Because family is important to God. When God created all of this, he didn't just start with one person. He didn't start with an organization. He started with two people, and he said, hey, hey, you guys, go be a family. Be fruitful be, and multiply, and he begins with a family. And then that family, he then creates out of that. He says, I want to create a nation, a family of people. God moves forward from there. We hit the New Testament, and no longer is it about this nation. Now it's a, a people of all nations, and, and now God calls us, hey, live out in your families and your churches like I was telling Israel to live out as a nation so other nations would look in and go, oh, that's what God's like. They now look into your family. They look into our church family, and people say, that, that's what God's like. I, I want a God like that. that. That's what God looks like. They, they look into your marriage and they say, hey, that's what unconditional love looks like. They look into your family and say, oh, that's, that's what sacrificial care looks like and forgiveness looks like. They look into our church family. They say, that's what a relationship with God looks like. I want that in my life. It begins with family. Let me give a definition, a quick definition of a, of a gospel-driven family for us as we move through the scripture so we get an idea of what we're actually talking about when we say family. So, so here's the definition. I didn't make it up. I kind of took a bunch of pieces from other smarter people than me, but here's what we got. A family is this. I got it on the screen for you. It's a covenant community on mission where following Jesus takes place in the context of unconditional love. So it's this, this covenant community, all right? We're, we're coveting together. We're on mission. We don't just get together to, to be together. That's not our mission. Our mission isn't community. We're a part of community to be on mission. 
where we're following Jesus in this context of unconditional love, that's a family. Now, as we jump into this this morning, maybe you're here this morning you're like, oh man, this sermon isn't for me. I don't have kids. Maybe I'll just come back next Sunday. I can check out this Sunday. I don't think there's anything for me here. But listen, I want to explain a few things of why this message is for you too. I mean, first of all, it might be this. Maybe you're young, you don't have kids yet. Then I, I would pray that this, that God would be at work in your heart right now, even preparing your heart for one day when by his grace, maybe he does provide you with children, that, that this would be a time where your heart could be set in the right direction. Secondly, what, why, why should this apply for all of us? Because I, I think there's more than just a physical part to this. I mean, God's called all of us to grow this new family, this spiritual family, and, and every one of us has been called to be fruitful and multiply in that so that maybe you don't have kids. Maybe, maybe you're an empty nester now and you don't have kids at home any longer, but you grab a hold of this idea of being bold with your faith means this. How can I grow the spiritual family of God? How can I come alongside those? Maybe it's gonna be through serving in Harvest Kids. You get to be a spiritual mom or dad in Harvest Kids for kids that are there. Maybe it's in Harvest Youth where you get to come alongside students and say, hey, I just wanna come alongside them. I wanna point them to Christ and I wanna be a spiritual parent in their life. Lastly, why should we all pay attention to this? Because there's a lot of people here in our church who well, quite simply, didn't have parents who poured into them, who didn't have parents who poured the gospel in them, didn't have parents who, who loved them unconditionally. There are many here this morning, and you, you carry wounds from your family. I mean, even me talking about family this morning, say, man, you're pressing in on something I don't want to hear about because I have memories of that that, that, that press in on, on these wounds in my heart, or, or maybe it's not even past. Maybe it's right now. Maybe you're like, you know what? In my family right now, it's not going good. I'm asking that God this morning in his grace that, that, that he would be able to speak to those hearts, to you this morning, this, that, that God can heal the wounds. And God can change the situation you're in even right now. And also, why do I say that? So I say that if, if you're struggling, if you're hurting, I also say that for others here that, that, listen, when there are people here with that kind of pain who didn't have the upbringing to look at, hey, there's my parents, this is what they did. Listen, that's where God gives us this beautiful thing called the church where we now get to come together and maybe you might be an empty nester, maybe you don't have kids any longer, but you're not done yet. God may have called you to say, hey, you know what? I wanna come alongside others who didn't get a good gospel experience, who didn't have parents that, that love them unconditionally and you get to do that. Maybe you just don't have kids like, Lord, I just want kids. And God's saying, hey, until then, why don't you be a spiritual parent for somebody else? I have testimony after testimony of people who didn't grow up in great homes and what do they do? They stumble into one of your homes and for the first time, they see a husband and wife loving each other. And maybe for the first time, they see what true forgiveness and compassion looks like. Maybe for the first time, they see the gospel lived out in a family. And, and that can be something you get to do, what you get to bring, where, where you get to step in and fill in those gaps. So here we are in Deuteronomy chapter 6, all of us. Those with kids we're raising, those who are, God is allowing us to step alongside, maybe even stepping alongside young parents who are in this place of raising kids, and every young parent in this room who has kids has the same thought, I have no idea what I'm doing. 
right? And maybe you get to come alongside. So whether you're parenting your kids or God has you as a spiritual parent in this role, that's where we come to in Deuteronomy chapter six. Moses pressing in on us to remind us of the gospel that we're set free from sin and death and Satan and now our hearts have a new king. We, we now serve Jesus. We, we now, what do we need to do? We need to embrace this, press this into our hearts every day, the, this gospel truth of who we are in Christ and then Moses saying, and press it into the generation coming after you. Look at verse four. It says, hear, O Israel, The Lord our God, the Lord is one. You shall love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, with all your might, and these words that I command you today shall be on your heart. Now, notice I said our first point is that my mission begins with family. That's where it starts, that this whole passage here is about family. But Moses doesn't start with family. He starts with our hearts. He doesn't start with, hey, if you want a gospel-drenched home, here are five things you need to do with your kids. Here are four ways to run your family so that, no, what does he do? He starts with me, with you, with our heart. This begins with your heart, and then as you come into this covenant community together, husband and wife coming together in covenant relationship, that's where the community begins, right? Kids then come into that community, that covenant community, but it begins with you and you guys as parents The the child's not the center of the community. You get that? They come into the community. If we build our covenant community on our kids or centered around our kids, we're not building a biblical family then. And I I used to run a college ministry, and and I gotta tell you, I used to be very critical of parents, right? Because I would see these college students come in who they were obviously the center of their home. Everything was about them, and you would see it in their life, how they were acting out. And I was so critical, like, how could these parents do that? How could they live their life vicariously through their kids? Why would they set everything up with it all circling around their kids? Why would they make it all about them? And why would they get all their identity in their kid? And and then I had kids. (laughs) And it's hard, isn't it? But here's what it should look like. A kid comes into our family community, and then hopefully one day when they're 30, they leave the house, right? (laughs) But what do they do? Kids come in for a season. So if you build your life around your kids, if they're the center, if it's not your heart pursuing God, if your kids are the center of your family, when they leave, when they go away, when they're done in your family because they're going off through their own family, it won't just be a sad day. It will be a completely destructive day. Why? Because everything's built on them. When they leave, what's left? If the relationship with you and your spouse has not been building up in the Lord, when they go, what do you have left? We see it time and time again in counseling. So it begins with our heart, then with our marriage. Now, now for those who are here, we have a lot here who are single parents. This doesn't mean you can't have a gospel-centered home. Because I'm talking about it, it's a a commitment between two people. It's this this parental relationship that begins. Listen, it doesn't mean you can't have this, but I'll say this, and I say this with all grace and hope for you. It will be harder. 
And you're probably experiencing that, that it is hard uh, on your own to do this, to be, to be without a partner in this. But here, here's something that's great. This is one where the church can step in again and begin to serve, where we can come alongside as we have been and we continue to do so, to come alongside those who are single parents, to partner with you. I pray we continue to do that as a church. But, but here, Moses doesn't even start with parenting. As important as that is, and we're gonna, we're gonna get into what, what this parenting is, where does Moses start? He starts with our hearts. He says, you, you should love the Lord your God with all your heart, your strength, your soul, your mind. Jesus, when asked, hey, what's the greatest commandments? He said, first, it's this one. And then he said the second one is this. He quotes Leviticus, love your neighbor as yourself. He says, that's the mission. You need to be on mission. But before that, you need to have a heart that's pursuing after me. Starts with our hearts. So if you're taking notes, our second point this morning is this. As my heart goes, so goes my family. Yeah, the, the ministry, the mission begins with our family, but where our heart goes, that's where our family's gonna go. And it says here, love the Lord your God with everything. Your heart, your soul, your might, with, with everything. I have a life that's all in for Jesus. Like, you're not just doing the Sunday hobby. I do that once a week. You're, you're not just, well, I'll serve a little bit. I got this religious club that I sort of go to, but it's all in for Jesus. Not just say, I've got fire insurance for eternity. No, it's I love Jesus and my whole life now has changed. I've put up the white flag of surrender on my life, on my goals, on me doing it all on my own, on striving to do this on my effort, and now I I love and serve and follow Jesus. It's so important that it starts here. If your number one goal as a parent is to raise kids who love Jesus, and by the way, this should be our number one goal as Christian parents. Everybody wants kids who are, who are successful and confident and stable, but that's not our ultimate goal as parents, right? Our ultimate goal is that Jesus is number one in our kids' lives. So how do we raise kids who love Jesus above everything else? Well, it starts here. We love Jesus above everything else. We love God with every bit of our being. Yeah, we're on mission as a family. That's important. That's part of what we want to do as a church community. That's what we want to do as families that we press into the mission that Christ has called us for. But first of all, it's about our hearts. So isn't it funny that, that Moses is about to lay out, here's how to pass this on to the next generation, but he doesn't begin with children. He doesn't begin even with kids. He begins with our hearts. It has everything to do with us as parents, as grandparents, as spiritual parents. Because if we're not taking God seriously, if we, if we don't love him more than anything else, how can we expect our kids to follow and to love Jesus? I mean, kids can spot a fake from a mile away. In fact, I would say this way. Here's the reality of this. If, if I had three chairs up here, and I, I would have three examples of parents in each chair. And in this chair, we've got the, the family, the, the, the parents who just love Jesus, who just pursue Christ. They're not perfect parents, right? But they, they live in confession and repentance and just pursuing after Jesus because they love him with everything. That's chair number one. Chair number two, we got the parents who are just kind of going through the motions, they talk about a love for Christ, but, but that's only maybe on a Sunday morning and maybe serving a little bit, but the rest of the week, it's all about them and not really anything to do with Jesus. Okay, that's, that's chair number two. That, that's the good church-going family. 
And then chair number three, you've got the family that doesn't care anything about Jesus. Like, I don't know him, I don't wanna know him, I don't care about Christ. Generally speaking, this isn't, this isn't a always happens this way, but generally speaking, chair number one kind of parents raise chair number one kind of kids. Not perfect kids, but kids who wanna pursue and love Jesus. Chair number three parents who don't care at all about Jesus typically raise chair number three kids. Then unless God brings another person in their life, unless God's drawing them to himself, they'll raise kids that don't care about Jesus. Here's the tough thing. Here's the kicker to all of this. Chair number two parents, parents who talk about Jesus, who do the church thing but don't live them, they generally raise chair number three kids. Why is that? Because hypocrisy breeds unbelief. And the danger of this is when we live our lives just saying some things but not really believing, we aren't pursuing Jesus, what do we do? When we're just kind of going through the motions but, but Christ isn't important in our lives, we're shooting our kids in the spiritual foot and we're shooting our grandkids in the spiritual heart. It doesn't take many generations for it to be completely gone. Kids respond to the hypocrisy that they see and they respond with unbelief. They say, mom, dad, you didn't actually live this out. You talked a lot about it, but I never saw it in your life. It, it didn't really matter to you, so it doesn't really matter to me either. And this is so important. This is where it all begins. The best way for us to raise kids that truly love Jesus is for us to truly love Jesus. We don't have to be perfect parents, but we can't be hypocrites. To be parents that, that really grasp the gospel, what's that mean? It means even when we're not perfect, we, we grab a hold of confession and repentance. Why? Because we want to model to our kids that God's love is unconditional. And when we come to him because of Christ's sacrifice on our behalf, that our sin can be forgiven. And so we want our kids to grow up in that, what, that context of unconditional love in that community. That, and how do we see it? It's a community of confession and repentance and forgiveness where kids see this unconditional love where kids can know and experience the reality of I can fail. I don't have to be perfect. I can fail forward in life. I mean, that's what we're supposed to learn in family, yet a lot of kids don't learn that, do they? What happens when you don't learn about failure and God's grace in failure, when you have to be perfect? What happens when that kid doesn't make the sports team, when they don't get into the college that they want to get into, when they don't get the raise at work or the career they hope for, when they don't get the relationship they thought they would have, they are completely destroyed. They freak out. Why? Because they've never been able to fail and to be safe. That's what we're supposed to be as families. That's what we're supposed to be as a church family, that there's safety here. But the key I want us to see in all of this is, is for kids to grow up loving Jesus. It begins with them seeing us loving Jesus. And I would say this, as parents, we need to worry less that our kids don't listen to us very much. We need to worry much more that our kids watch us all the time. Right? Worry less that our kids may not listen to us all the time when we're telling them stuff. Worry more that they never stop watching us, how we live, what we do, how we respond to things. Just a side thought here. I mean, I, 
Sometimes it's, it's so easy to strongly emphasize the, the impact we have on our kids as parents. And I believe that's a good thing because no one will have a greater impact on your kids than you will. But, but this is important. Listen, God's not bound by our failures, though. Maybe you're here this morning and, and, and you would look back at your, your parenting and maybe your kids are now old and grown or, or into their teens. You're like, man, I don't think I've done this well. I, I think I've failed this. And listen, God's not limited by what you might perceive as your failures in parenting. God's grace isn't too short to reach those who run far from him. Let, let's trust God in all of this. That God's grace is bigger than our shortcomings, Amen. Man, his grace is, is big enough to reach our kids. No parent is perfect. So if this morning, if as I teach, as I preach, you're feelings of regret and guilt are coming up. Listen, let the gospel speak to those feelings as well. Where you turn your hope towards Christ. And the best thing you can do in that moment when you feel that, the best thing you do is right now, if you're like, man, I haven't lived a life where I pursued after Jesus with that kind of love, then begin today. And say, today's the day. Today's the day where I wanna love Jesus with all my heart, my soul, my might, and my strength. I'm gonna trust him to build that in my heart. All right, so, so it begins in our hearts, our kids seeing us love Jesus. It, it then is seen in our marriages, our gospel lived out in our marriages. I love how Ephesians says this, that marriage created by God, why was it created? It was created to point to the mystery of God's love for us. So that when it says, husbands love your wives as Christ loves the church, it's the people looking in, it's your kids looking at your marriage going, hey, that's how God loves me. Dads, the most important thing you can do for your kids is to love their mom, to sacrificially care for her. Moms, the most important thing you can do for your kids is to love their dad, to care for their dad. Because here, here's what happens. As our kids are growing up, guess where their number one view of God comes from? It's when they look at us, when they look at our marriage and they say, is this what God is like? They're looking at our marriage going, is this what God's love looks like? Is, is this what God's forgiveness looks like? Is this what God's care looks like? They look at our marriage. It begins with us. It begins with our hearts for Jesus. But it doesn't stop there. We're then given a responsibility. We need to, to, to teach our kids, to raise our kids in the gospel. Look at Deuteronomy chapter 6, verse 6. And these words that I command you today shall be on your heart, and you shall teach them diligently to your children, and shall talk of them when you sit in your house, and when you walk by the way, and when you lie down, and when you rise, and you shall bind them as a sign on your hand, and they shall be frontlets between your eyes, and you shall write them on the doorposts of your house and on your gates. Our last point this morning is this I will teach my kids to worship Jesus. The mission begins in our family. It begins in our heart, and then it moves to this. I'm gonna teach my kids to worship Jesus. I mean, the, the whole idea of the community of family is to point each other to Jesus. We, we want God to be the focus, right? We, we don't just want productive kids. We, we don't just want successful kids. We, we have a much greater goal than that. We want kids who are passionate worshipers of Jesus. We, we want to raise kids who are, who are going out into the world to push back the darkness. Kids who go into their school community and say, I'm going to befriend and defend the kid being bullied. 
Kids who go in and say, I'm not just going to go out in the world. I'm going to be an agent of change in my world because of the gospel of Jesus Christ on mission for Jesus. How do we get them there? We need to teach them that the Lord is God. That there's somebody bigger than themselves. That there's someone at the center of their life and it is not them. Look how Moses says it in verse 6. Sorry, in verse 4. Hear, O Israel, the Lord our God, the Lord is one. In that, in that culture, though, you would have many different gods. If, if you wanted to be happy because your crops were doing well, you'd be praying to the God of grain or the God of rain. If, if you wanted kids, you'd be making sure you were keeping the fertility God happy because you'd want that to happen in your life. And Moses, hey, listen, listen, if you want to begin this well, the Lord our God, he's one God. Now, in our culture, we, we have a lot of gods, too. We have the God of, of success, the God of power. We have the God of control. We have the, the God of relationships, the God of money, the God of happiness. And what do we want to do? We want to show our kids, hey, don't put your hope in these things. Only Jesus can bring hope. Only Jesus can bring life. Only Jesus can bring purpose. My goal as a parent, I, I want to raise kids that love Jesus more than I do. I want to raise kids that will do greater things for his name in his kingdom on mission than I ever could do. I want kids who do this. Why? Why will they be able to? Because I want them to have at the center of their hearts. We want our kids to have Jesus at the center. And so we need to be families that are that way. We also need to teach our kids. I mean, that's the starting point. So we need to teach our kids. So how do we do that? Well, I just got a, a few ways. Here, here's the first way. Teach your kids at the heart level. Teach your kids at the heart level. I mean, what are we after when we're, when, we're, when we're raising our kids and we're discipling our kids? We're after their hearts. It's, it's not about having morally good kids. That looks great when people come to visit your house and your kids are quiet and sit there and do what you say, right? We want that at that time. But listen, that's not the end game. The end game is we want their hearts. That, that's what God wants too. He's pursuing after their hearts. So when, when our kids disobey, discipline then needs to be heart-driven, if, if one of my kids disobeys, never happens, but say it does. Just imagine that, right? If one of my kids, say one of my daughters is mean to her sister. I mean, I can jump in and go, be nice. What does that do? Maybe some behavior modification. She realizes, hey, I better be nice or else dad's going to yell, be nice. And I, I can deal with the action. But, but just like you and me, we need to look under the sin to see what's driving it. Well, when I have a heart of anger in me, it, I have to look at, hey, what caused that? If a person cuts me off in traffic and I get mad, that person cutting me off isn't creating that anger. There's something underneath the anger that person pushed over. There's an idol there. There's something they've pulled away from me. When my kids don't obey, and I'm like, oh, why are they? What are they? They're pushing over my comfort, my control, right? So with our kids, it's the same thing. When they do something, when they act out, you want to say, okay, what's causing that? What's the beneath? What's the heart behind that? Not just behavior modification. So maybe when, when one of my daughters is mean to her sister, I, I don't just come up and say, be nice. I might say, hey, hey, hey. Why'd you call your sister a poo head? Right? And she would say, well, because she, and you can start getting out to the, the heart of it. You can start talking through the heart desires and sin that's going on. And listen, that's how God deals with us. God doesn't just yell down from heaven, hey, stop lusting. Right? God begins to pursue our hearts. 
presses in on her heart. So we teach at the heart level. Secondly, we want to apply, then teach. Apply, then teach. What do I mean by that? I mean this, don't, we don't take the word of God and just throw it at our kids. Just give them a bunch of rules and you better do this and here's this and do that. No, no, what do we do? We apply it, then teach it. Here's what I mean. It doesn't go like this. Here's the word given to my kids. Or it goes like this. Here's the word to my heart, then to my kids. Here's the word of God to my heart, applied, pressed in on, and then out to my kids. When we don't apply it ourselves, we become hypocrites. We're, we're asking our kids to do things we haven't even stro- strived to do. I think it's why so many kids say, I don't want nothing to do with Jesus or your church. Why? Because they're saying, listen, my folks preached a life they never lived. This is why I look again at verse six. These words I command you today shall be on your heart. It starts with, with taking God's word and applying it and then teaching it. That's a hard call for parents. I mean, let that responsibility weigh heavy on you even now. What, what, what's that calling us to do? That, that we take God's word first. And again, we're, we're not looking for, for, to be perfect parents, but, but repentive parents. So even if you blow it, you're still teaching, you're still applying God's word, and you're coming even to your kids and say, hey, listen, when dad said that, I, I shouldn't have said it that way. Would you guys forgive me? I've, I've taken it to the Lord, and I've asked him, and God forgives me. And, and I just wanted to say to you guys that I shouldn't have done it that way. They're, they're not looking to have perfect parents, but they want parents who live in the gospel. They're not looking for parents who have all the answers here, but parents who are going to the place where the answers are and will point them to the one who has all the answers. Apply, then teach. Here's the third thing we see in this text here. We're we're to teach informally. Teach informally. I love this part of this verse. verse seven. Teach them diligently to your children. You shall talk of them when you sit in your house, when you walk by the way, when you lie down, and when you rise. I love that because I'm not a formal guy. I love this idea of, of informal. So maybe you're like me and you're like, yeah, yeah, that resonates with me, right? You, you don't like structure so much. You're, you're a P on the Myers-Briggs. Like you, you, you see Microsoft Excel documents, you start to get a rash. Like I, I don't want that kind of organization in my life, I, right? This stuff just lights you up. You're like, man, I, that's what I want to do. I just want to do it in the flow of life. Listen, are you doing that? When you run errands with your kids, are you talking to them? Are you, are you in their life? When, when you're driving your kids to hockey practice, is there an opportunity there where you're teaching, where you're talking, when you're doing chores together? Are you talking through that? Listen, how do you do that? It begins with listening to your kids, right? It begins with probably less TV. It begins with, this is a hard one, putting down the iPhone and then hearing your kids. Being there not just physically, but mentally as well. I gotta tell you, I am not the greatest person to get up here and go, here's how to do structured family devotions. I'm horrible at it. I just preach the same sermon all week now to them, over and over, I don't do that. That would be horrible, right? I'm not the greatest at sitting down in those formal times in the word with my kids. I struggle at it all the time, but listen, I love to listen to my daughters tell me about their day. 
I love those opportunities when, when, when there's hurt expressed that I can come alongside with the gospel to, to, to walk with them in their hurt. I love the times around the supper table where you can ask those questions. Hey, tell me about your day. Tell me something you did today that, that you're so proud of. And hear their little hearts share. T- tell me, tell me about the, your, your thing that you did the courageous today. And they can share something they were courageous. You just hear all these great things. Hey, what do you guys want to, what do you want your lives to look like when you grow up? And that's great. I asked my kids that, and they're like, oh, I want to be a doctor, I want to be a writer. And then my youngest said, I want to be a lion. I'm like, that's awesome. Right? So, right, but what are you doing? You're, you're just, you're hearing from kids. Maybe you ask, hey, hey, tell me about something you failed at today. I mean, what a great question to ask at the supper table. Why? Because they can share their heart of here's something that didn't go well, and you again can bring the gospel into that. so important to get these informal times, but here's the tough part. For those who are more informal, we also need to teach formally. This passage here also says, teach formally. Look at verse eight. You shall bind them on as a sign on your hand. They shall be as frontlets between your eyes. You shall write them on the doorposts of your house and on your gates. And listen, this truth of who God is should be all over your home. There should be this, these formal times when you're actually you're pressing into that. I like the word in verse 6 that we're diligent at this. I mean, some great words to think about when, when you think about what's it look like to teach my kids formally. It, it means being consistent at it. It, it means being clear. Don't, don't worry so much about creativity as long as there's, there's some clearness to it. You, know, you want to have fun in it and be flexible with it. But listen, don't make your kids into little religious Pharisees, but, but bring them the joy of Jesus as you're bringing formal teaching to your kids. So my question this morning is this, as you think about a formal way of teaching your kids the gospel, what's your plan? What what plan do you have in place right now? Maybe this morning, you know, I I don't have a plan. Well, maybe that's something that you and your spouse can do this afternoon, right? Maybe that's the the homework from Sunday sermon where where you go, hey, hey, what is our plan? We don't have a plan for our kids. And maybe you start to talk to each other about, hey, where are the hearts of our kids at? Because maybe the plan will be different for, for each of your kids. Maybe you'll be like, man, our, our kid's heart here is struggling there. Let, let's put a plan together for this season. How do we as a family want to get into the word as a family? Listen, parents, you are the greatest influencer in your kid's life. You are the number one, the key discipler in your kid's life. Yeah, we're going to pour the word of God in Harvest Kids, in youth, every Sunday morning, but that's such a short period of time. You are the primary discipler. So how do we do it? I mean, I don't know about you, but you can't get overwhelmed with that. Can't you? Like, man, what do I do with my kids? Here's a three-step plan. Simple three-step plan. How do you get your kids, how do you teach your kids the Word of God? Here's a three-step plan. Step one, start reading and applying the Word of God yourself. I can't teach what I don't know, right? We want to be men and women of the word. We want to read it, study it, dwell on it, memorize it, apply it to our lives. And and that's what I love about small groups, an opportunity to dive into the word deeper and say, hey man, how does this work out in your family? What's this look like in your life as you dig into God's word? Get on a reading plan. There's, there's great ones online. Just look for good study guides so you can dig in and, and maybe you're like, man, I don't understand it. Find a good study guide online. 
But start here. Listen, we can't teach what we don't know. We can't model what we've never done. We can't lead where we've never gone. We need to start there. Step one, read and apply the word yourself. Step two, encourage your kids to do the same. Maybe when your kids are young, you're gonna be reading the word together as a family. As they grow older, you're gonna give them their, their own maybe devotional guide or, or Bible reading plan. Listen, there are tons, tons of resources out there. We're gonna get a bunch of those into your hands in your small group. We're gonna figure a way to get them to everybody. Just some, some great ideas for books and guides to, to walk with your kids as they get into the word themselves. So one, start yourself, encourage your kids to do it. Third one is this, share what you're learning. Pretty simple, isn't it? I mean, ask your kids, hey, hey, what are you learning as you, as you read? Hey, I, I got you this great book, and what are you learning as you go through it? And then you too, you talk to your kids, hey, hey, man, here's what God taught me this morning. I, I was in this book, and this was, and you start to talk about what you're doing. Maybe it's as simple as Sunday afternoon, you talk to your kids about the sermon. Maybe you have students, and then and, and kids grade six and up, and you could talk as a family, hey, what'd you think of the sermon? I think the preacher sucks. Go to your room. Wait, that, that's my house. Sorry, that's just in my house. Right. Right, maybe an opportunity just to go into, hey, what are we learning together? And here's the thing. All of this points to this one truth. If we want to be a family, a covenant community on mission, following Jesus in the context of unconditional love, it begins with our hearts. Love and obey Jesus with everything. And then we intentionally point our kids to Jesus. Now in saying all of that, that sounds like a great plan, but listen, listen. We need to rest and trust in Jesus for this. Maybe you're here this morning and, and you have older kids and so and, and you look back over your life like, man, I, I didn't do these things and so this sermon can feel very heavy and you feel the weight of it. I pray that you wouldn't feel condemnation this morning. Listen, if, if repentance is needed, that's a good thing to do. Go that way and, and bring these to, to, to the cross and find healing and forgiveness and love there. But I want to end here with hope. If you weren't a perfect mom or dad, understand this, there is a perfect father and he's pursuing your kids. And trust that, that he's a good father and he'll work and he'll even use your, your imperfection. He'll use your humility as you go before him and as you call out and say, what do I need to do? And if this morning, if you say, but, but I failed, man. my kids are older and out of the house and I, I didn't do this, what do I need to do? Maybe, maybe for you, maybe it's going and apologizing to your kids. Maybe you're like, man, I, I wasn't a, a godly father, a godly mom. Maybe it's humbling yourself and saying, hey, I didn't live out the truth of who Jesus was in our family. And you, you own the failure. And then what do you do? You allow God to then do the work on your kids' hearts. You allow God to take even the failures that you, you think that you've, been, you've done. You, you allow God to display the gospel. Well, how? Because you're owning your responsibility and you're loving your kids unconditionally and you're gonna trust the results up to God. If that's you this morning, I pray there's a church we would rally around those parents with love and with grace. Maybe some of you here were amazing parents. 
And you love your kids well. I mean, you live this out. You are pointing your kids to the gospel. You are, you are loving them well and living it well. You love Christ. They saw it in your home happening, and yet your kids still decided to leave that and to run as fast and as far away from God as possible. Keep calling out to God for your kids. I mean, the story of the prodigal son that Jesus tells in this story, the dad was a phenomenal dad. He was a great father. The son still runs away, goes as far away as he can. And what happens? He finds himself, his son finds himself in a place of just things went so bad, like desperately bad. And what did the son do? What did he remember? He remembered his father. Maybe for you this morning, just pray that your kids would see Jesus, that maybe God's taking them to a very bad place. Maybe it has to get even worse, but, but that you'd be praying, Lord, use this. Lord, would you remind them of all the things that I poured into them? And listen, as a church family, let's rally around those parents with love and with grace. If you're a parent this morning with young kids and you're thinking, I have no clue what to do. I mean, that's a perfect place to be. And you're in a great church family. As a church, let's rally around young parents with love and with grace. This is what we're about. I mean, if you're wondering, hey, what's Harvest all about? This is what we're about. We're about being a church that loves Jesus above everything else and being on mission. We love Jesus, so we're on mission. What's that look like? It means we're gonna love each other unconditionally. It means we're gonna reach out and love the world. The mission starts here in our hearts, though. It begins in our hearts, moves to our homes, goes out from there. So let's press into the mercy and the grace of God as we look at raising families. And remember, remember, you have a great Savior who loves you, not because of what you've done, but because of what he did on the cross. So I don't want us to go out from here this morning. As we close this morning, don't go out of here thinking, man, I need to be a better parent this week. But you leave here with a renewed view of your need for God's grace and God's mercy. And then you'd immerse yourself and your family in the good news of the gospel. Let me pray for us. Would you stand as we close in prayer? Heavenly Father, I... <coughs> Look, God, I want... I want to pray for those here that are hurting as parents, Lord God, who are dealing with kids who have wandered away. Father, I pray that your grace would be so dear, so near to them even this morning. Father, I pray for those this morning who, who carry family wounds, who carry father wounds of, of, of never being able to, to be better and be good enough and do enough, maybe carry mother wounds, who carry these wounds from a, a family past, who carry hurts and pains. Lord God, I pray this morning, Father, I know that you can bring healing through counseling and through care, but God, I also know that you're a God of miracles and you can heal instantly. God, I pray for those with hurts, Lord, you would heal them this morning. God, pain that has been there for so long, God, that you could bring peace. That you could heal the wounds, 
Heal the wounds of absentee parents. Heal the wounds of, of lost parents. Heal the wounds of, of family backgrounds that are so painful. And Lord God, I thank you that you promise us in your word that you're a father to the fatherless. That you care for the orphans and the widows. Father, I pray for the many single parents in our church. God, I pray that, that you would be their strength, Lord God, that you would be their partner in the mission of raising their kids. God, I pray that as a church, we would rally around them, God, with love and with grace and with support. Lord God, we want to be on mission to change lives. We want to be bold in this. We want to have families that are on mission. We want to raise kids that are on mission. But God, we realize that it all begins with you. And it begins here that, that our hope is fully in you, Lord Jesus. That our hope is not in our parenting. Our hope isn't in our ability to be on mission. Our hope is in you, Christ, in, in your blood that was shed for us. Your righteousness becomes ours. That's our hope this morning. And so in the difficulty of family, we rest in your grace and in your power. And I pray this in Jesus' name. Amen.